start with a story. I remember as a young adult, I went on my first trips on my own, uh, kind of without my parents and out exploring. I went with some friends to New York City. And on this particular trip, we did all the New York stuff. You know, we went to some different shows and had some Chinese food in Chinatown, had some good food around town, and we went to museums. I'm a museums person. Any other museum people in here, by the way? Yeah, great. Got one customer right there. And uh, I love museums, exhibits, learning things, love to learn. And so if you're not a museums person, just to kind of inform you, the culture of museums is that it's very unique. You're, you're in a room with a lot of strangers, at least pre-COVID, and you're standing in very close proximity looking at exhibits, but nobody really talks to each other. It's typically pretty quiet. Um, some museums, actually, if you get too loud, the docent will come over and kind of tell you to quiet down. And so it's not really an area where you're interacting with strangers or getting to know new people. So it was surprising to me when I was in this museum with a friend of mine, we were learning, checking something out, and this man walked up to us, who's about 30 years older than us, and started to strike up a conversation. He was very sharp dressed, fast talker, very well spoken. And as he began to speak to us, he looked at my friend and he said, I'd like to tell you some things about your life. I'd like to tell you some things about your life. And he went on to kind of describe the life of my friend and went on for a couple minutes and he shared four or five things that he could have in no way known before that. They're very personal, intimate details. And as he started talking, at first I thought, this is kind of cool. Maybe it's you know, some kind of magic trick or something. But the more he talked, actually, I started to get this really sick feeling in my stomach. Maybe you've had this feeling before when you're having a conversation with somebody. And something just felt really off. It didn't feel right. And, you know, it, it just, the conversation kind of took a weird turn. And so he's talking with my friend, and, you know, they're kind of this vulnerable conversation. And then he looks at my friend, and he says, now, as I've told you some things about your past, I'm going to tell you some things about your future. And he began to say several things that were going to happen in the life of my friend. Now, for me at this point, that, that overwhelming feeling of this is not okay, it was just more than I could bear. So I just totally interrupted. You know, I started arguing with the guy, saying, well, who are you? What are your intentions? You know, what's your deal? And so we kind of get in this combative argument in the middle of the art gallery. And, um, and so I said, so, so he describes himself and he says, Listen, I have these special powers that enables me to see things about people's lives. Okay, so your powers are so real, dude, say something about me. What's going to happen in my life? And so we start going back and forth. And finally, he looks at me. This is very strange. He looks at me and he says this. He says, I, I can't do you. I can't tell you anything about your life. You have a shield surrounding you. And he walked off. Now, I was raised in church, but had really only been walking with God for about six or seven months at that point. I'd never uttered this phrase before. I don't think I really knew what this phrase meant. But I turned to my friend and I said this, I think we just encountered a false prophet. False prophet. Pretty sensational story. You know, maybe we're not meeting false prophets every day on the street like I did that particular time. But here's one thing I do know. Our world is craving spirituality more than ever. 
The world is craving spirituality more than ever, and all spirituality does not lead people down the same path. A number of years ago, I was on a road trip, and I got to go to the Crystal Geyser source where they bottle this water. Now, Steph, I know you're going to love this analogy because you love bottled water. Um, but, um, and I got to see actually where they put the Crystal Geyser water right into the bottles. And it was this beautiful lake, like on the crest of a mountain. It was exactly like you would hope. So I love Crystal Geyser water because I know it came from the right source. But here's the truth. Not all spirituality comes from the same source, okay? So let me just share some examples of some impossible false prophecy I see in our culture today because here's what I find. This is actually much more subtle than we think it is. And uh, one or two of these bullet points might offend you, but I'm going to do my best to offend everybody, okay? So we'll just, we'll just all be offended. It'll be great. So um, here we go. You read a horoscope that predicts your future based on the movement of the stars. Your coworker talks about visiting a psychic to help her with her love life. You find yourself in physical pain, so you pursue spiritual healing, energy healing, Eastern medicine in a way that's related to spiritual matters. A friend sends you a podcast that claims secret knowledge about our world from the Bible that has never before been revealed to Orthodox Christians. You want to grow in your career, so you sign up for a self-help seminar based on a charismatic figure who's going to tell you what to do with your life. But, of course, the wisdom always comes in the next seminar you pay for, right? Nothing. Um, a friend sends you a social media post, and you spend a few hours each evening researching global conspiracy theories, and now you have it all figured out. A pastor on the internet publishes that the only way to experience a miracle is by donating to his ministry. We jump on the trend to use a meditation app, but what are we meditating about? And to who? Nothing wrong with meditation. It's part of the Christian tradition. Nothing wrong with trying to get healthy, exploring different kinds of medicine or self-help seminars for that matter. But we've forgotten this truth that not all spirituality comes from the same source. There is a true spirituality, a light spirituality that leads us into worship of the one true God. And there is a false spirituality, Robert coined the term about a year and a half ago, dark spirituality that will lead us down a path we don't want to go. And it might surprise you to learn that just like today, this was a major issue in the time of the Bible. I was doing some research this week on false prophecy, and I actually found about 11 to 13 warnings in the Bible, in the New Testament, to new Christians about false prophecy. So I'm just going to line out a few for you so you can see this trend throughout the New Testament. Okay, so we have Matthew 7. This is in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses false prophecy. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus warned us about it. Acts 13, Paul, the first mission trip Paul ever goes on, he's had his hands laid on him. He's going to go out on this missionary journey. The great apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He encounters a false prophet, right? Acts 13, when they had gone through the whole island, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, okay? 
1 John 4. At the end of the New Testament, the Apostle John, he's still warning the church about false prophets. This is what he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. For many, say many, for many false prophets have gone into the world. So I hope that after hearing these verses, this is resonating with you a little bit. This is something we should be watching out for as believers, false prophecy. But I decided I would do a little test. Say, obviously there's people that are into dark things and but you guys, you're like the COVID church crew, right? You're, you're legit Christians. We're all here under the tent. So, you know, are we really affected by false prophecy? So, so this is what I did. I went onto Amazon, and I just looked for the number one book on religion and spirituality. So I knew nothing about the book, nothing about the author. I just thought I'd say, hey, I'll just sample the number one book on religion and spirituality and false prophecy as of Friday, and we'll see, we'll see if there's any false prophecy in there. So here's a quote from that book. It's going to start off really encouraging, but you'll see how it kind of takes a turn. We carry in our imagination a vision of a truer, more beautiful world, one in which all children have enough to eat. We no longer kill each other, and mothers do not have to cross deserts with babies on their backs. So it sounds really nice, right? This is this vision of the world. This better idea is what Jews call shalom, Buddhists call nirvana. Christians call heaven, Muslims called Salam, and many agnostics call peace. It's not a place out there, not yet. It's a hopeful swelling in here, and will be if we refuse to wait and die and go to heaven and instead find heaven inside of us and give birth to it in the here and now, on earth as it is in heaven, in our material world as it is in our imagination. Now, when I read this, just as a pastor, I find this passage really frustrating because it depicts such a beautiful picture, such a beautiful vision of our world. But, but just to evaluate it for a minute, let's just think about what this actually teaches. Because it's very common for the kind of the philosophy of our world today. It says, we're going to find the order that God desires for us inside of ourselves. So let's just pause on that one. Is, is God's plan... Is God's order for the world going to come from inside of us? I think so. If so, our positive vibes would have produced a lot more bliss by now, right? <laughs> We're just not there. We don't have it inside of us. We have sin. We have brokenness. We have issues. And just positive thinking is not going to create this utopia that we're all going to be able to enjoy. Okay, Here's the next claim the author makes. The beliefs of Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, agnosticism, and Christianity being interchangeable. Now, if you know anything about those world value systems, are those just simply interchangeable? No, right? They're not all describing the same hard-to-grasp reality. They are totally different worldviews and are very contradictory except to the teachings of the Bible, which we find in the teachings of Jesus. That's not what Jesus taught. That's a deception, okay? The author uses a phrase from the Bible, and this is very common in false prophecy. You see the Bible being used for its own purposes. And the author uses the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. But you'll see the phrase is used out of context. It's used to say, whatever is in our imagination, 
we can experience in the world around us. That's not what Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. It's what's in God's imagination, not ours, that we're praying to earth, okay? So, I know it's a harsh term, false prophecy, but this is an example of the subtlety of false prophecy in our world today and the prevalence of it. So today, I'm going to seek to answer three questions about false prophecy. Number one, what is false prophecy? Just define it for us. Number two, this is a series on the end times. How does false prophecy relate to the end times? Number three, how should we prepare for or what should we do when we encounter false prophecy today? Okay, number one, what is false prophecy? Okay, so if there's false prophecy, we can reach the conclusion that there is also true prophecy. Amen? And I know many people in this church that have been impacted by true, encouraging, biblical prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14 actually describes this kind of ministry. Prophecy is one of the nine spiritual gifts. The Bible says that believers will have as abilities to strengthen the church and forward the mission of God. And we see it defined in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So prophecy and the Bible definition would be speaking to other people on God's behalf with the intent of strengthening, encouraging, and comforting them. Can I get an amen? Okay, so who here has been blessed by that kind of prophecy in our church? Just raise your hand. Just give me a wave. A lot of us, absolutely. So for me, I was blessed by this kind of prophecy two weeks ago. I was having kind of a down weekend, dealing with some frustrations about reaching the end of the summer and my personal goals not being met. And after the sermon, here comes Ed right? And Ed had a wonderful prophetic encouragement for me, okay? So as the body of Christ, we do that together. We build one another up, and we share encouragement. So if that's true prophecy, what's false prophecy? Well, the word false in the Bible, it, it comes from the word pseudo. So it would also maybe mean lying prophecy, and a great uh, Southern California way to translate that would be poser prophecy, okay? So false prophecy is like poser prophecy, and um, this is how we define false prophecy. False prophecy is spiritual teaching or revelation that leads us to worship false gods. False prophecy, false gods, okay? So false god could be like an idol or another religion. It could be um, things in this world like money or power or things like that. False prophecy, spiritual teaching or revelation that teaches us or leads us to worship false gods. We get that definition from Deuteronomy 13. I'm going to put that behind me. One good thing to do when you're reading the Bible and you're trying to figure out what something means or define it is always to look for its first mention in the Bible. So this is the first mention of false prophecy in the Bible. It defines it for us. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, see the false gods there, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. Okay, so false prophecy is going to lead us to false gods. False prophecy is also different than immature prophecy. Those are two very different things. 
false prophecy and immature prophecy are two different things. And so it's important for me now to spend just a few moments unpacking the difference between prophecy in the Old Testament and prophecy today. Okay, so in the Old Testament, if you're a Bible student, you might be familiar with this. When the Old Testament talks about false prophets, what it says is there's going to be some people that are prophets, and if what they say doesn't work out, take them outside the camp and village and stone them and leave them to die. That's what it says. Pretty harsh, and I'm glad we don't do that in our church today. Okay, so why don't we do that, though? Because in the Old Testament, God worked with people differently. The standard for prophecy was 100% perfection. The reason the standard for prophecy was 100% perfection because the Holy Spirit didn't live inside of people. The Holy Spirit would come upon people and take them over. So whenever someone was ministering on God's behalf and sharing God's word, their own willpower, their own personality, all that was overridden by God. So if anyone ever had a prophecy that didn't come true or perhaps, um, you know, pointed to another God, only a few things were happening. Either they were making it up or they were possessed by an evil spirit. And so that is why God commanded the Jewish people to put those people outside the camp. Furthermore, the people of God in that time did not have the Holy Spirit in them. And so they had no way to judge whether someone who was serving and leading them had the right spirit. And so rather than being on them to judge, they judged the quality of the word, and the standard was 100% perfection. So it was very important to God. He made that very clear in the Old Testament law. That brings us to the New Testament, which God deals with us totally differently because now we live in the age of grace. Amen? And so what happened is Jesus came to earth, right? He lived a sinless life. He was 100% perfect, so we don't have to be. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He rose from the dead to show he was the way to heaven, eternal life. And then he ascended into heaven to show that he had victory that would be expressed today in an eternity. And as he was ascending to heaven, he told his disciples something very important. He said, someone else is going to come. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit. So today, the Holy Spirit has come and rests inside all believers. So we, if we follow Jesus, have the Holy Spirit inside of us. God speaks in us and through us. And so when God speaks in us and through us, it comes out in the flavor of us. God uses our own personalities, and he uses our souls and our life experience, and there is a mixture there. And so the standard for prophecy in the, in the New Testament isn't perfection, like the Old Testament. It's transformation. It's whether or not those spiritual teachings lead people into a deeper relationship with God and closer relationship with Jesus. Furthermore, in the New Testament, unlike the Old, the entire fellowship of believers has the Holy Spirit inside of them. So rather than looking for perfection from one person as God's special messenger, we are all God's messengers. Amen? And so because God speaks to all of us, we evaluate what God is saying to us as a community and move forward together. And so we have prophecy that matures as people mature in their gifts and their faiths. The maturity piece is really important, and that's why when you read about prophecy in the New Testament, it says things like this, do it in love. 
only have a few people speak at a time, then evaluate it. There's all this protocol that's set up so we can learn how to mature and grow in this spiritual gift. So very different era in terms of New and Old Testament prophecy. False prophecy, though, continues as it did in the Old Testament and pointing people to false gods. Okay, number two, how does false prophecy relate to the end times? Wow, what a question. <laughs> um, you could spend your whole life Googling this, by the way. There are a lot of different thoughts out there. So let me try to break this down as simply as I can. But also, first, I want to share some good news. Because as we talk about these negative trends, you know, these things that are going to happen, that are challenges before Christ returns, what we also see is there's some promises for the church. So just as, yes, we've been warned about false prophecy, and we're going to get to that in the end times in a moment, we've also been promised that there will be a restoration of true prophetic ministry when Christ returns, that the people of God will operate in extraordinary prophetic authority as his messengers to the different spheres of society. We see this all throughout the Bible. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, it says, in the, you know, this, this has been fulfilled. This is the last days, Peter says. And then he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. And he talks about dreams and visions and God using old men and young men and all kinds of people. And so there's this promise that when the Holy Spirit's moving, we're going to be operating in the gift of prophecy. And then to go to the end of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 10. It's pretty interesting, actually, as, as we're, we're reading about these challenges, like Robert's been preaching on, like lawlessness or the Antichrist or different things. We also see that the body of Christ, God's people, will be growing in spiritual authority. For example, Revelation 10, 11, you will prophesy again to peoples and nations and kings. Revelation chapter 11 describes the prophetic ministry of these two individuals that the Bible refers to as the two witnesses. Now, there's a lot of speculation about who those people might be or how that might happen, but here's what we know as we read about that ministry is that prophetic power will be released to the body of Christ that will rival the ministry of Elijah. There will be signs in the heavens it talks about. There will be confronting um, members and leaders and government, and there will be an absolute increase, a lot of like what we saw in history in the 1700s in Scotland, where God would raise up prophets who would confront kings and minister to them, and society was changed. We'll see that kind of trend increase in the end times. So I'm excited about Jesus coming back because this is what it means. People are going to be hearing Jesus more clearly. And yes, great darkness has covered the people, but arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is going to rest on you, is going to rest on me. The body of Christ is going to grow up, but it's also going to glow up into the glory, glory of God. There's going to be an increase of God's glory on God's people. Amen? Okay, so there is some bad news. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, verse 11, in the end times, there would be false prophets. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's concerning, you know, when we read that. And I'm not trying to be sensational, you know, it's not really my thing, but in Matthew 24, we see these different warnings that Jesus has given us. And I think if Jesus warned us about something, we need to be preparing for it. He says there'll be many false prophets, and just as there'll be an outpouring of true prophetic ministry, there will also be a crest. There will also be an apex of false prophecy. 
We see that as well in the book of Revelation. A number of weeks ago, Robert talked about the Antichrist, who's a figure you know, in the end times that will try to draw worship to himself and control the world and, and away from God. And Revelation 13 describes there will also be a false prophet that will support the work of that Antichrist. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. We're going to read that now, and I must warn you, these are some of the most complicated passages in the entire Bible. So I'm going to do my best this morning. We're going to work through it, and I think God has something for us as we get into it together. Revelation 13, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. This is speaking of the false prophets, speaking like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. That's speaking of the Antichrist. Robert referred to that several weeks ago. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven in front of people. And by the signs, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword yet lived. Okay, a lot going on there. Here's what we see. The false prophet will perform false signs. The false prophet will perform false signs. There are many warnings in the Bible to Christians saying, don't just follow a spiritual teacher because they seem to have spiritual power. Don't just follow someone because they're able to or claim to heal people. Don't just follow someone because they have some secret knowledge because there are different sources of spiritual power. One of the deceptions we can believe in the church is like, hey, God's over here. His power is real. Okay. But you know, there's the Satan doesn't really have any power and that's just kind of like pretending or that's a joke. No, that's actually not true. You can take it from me who has spent hours praying for people and doing freedom ministry and helping people get free from Satan's power. There is a real spiritual power in darkness. It deceives people. It destroys their lives. But God is bigger. Amen? I think of that great story in the Old Testament when Moses threw his staff down and it became a snake. Then the magicians threw their staffs down and they became a snake. And Moses' staff ate the magician's staff, right? God has something better, right? But we have to be careful. You know, I, I remember being in India um, and our group was ministering at this boarding school, and we were doing a leadership seminar based on the teachings of Jesus. So we get driven into this boarding school. They lock the gates behind us. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. And we, we go into this school, and the longer we're in there, we realize, oh, this, this is actually a school, but it's also kind of like a prison. Like, these students aren't able to leave. Um, they, have no, um, they have no rights, and they're being forced to worship this leader who funds this school who claims to be able to heal people spiritually by hugging them. And it was a weird deal. And the longer we were in there, I mean, it just got more and more strange. And so we, you know, we did our best to do our seminar. But what I saw then was there was a spiritual leader that had real spiritual power, and people chose to follow her out of deception. Thankfully, we were able to take some of those students off campus to a mall and lead them to Christ and show them, you know, that God really had a plan for that. It was amazing. But these things still happen on the earth today. Verse 15, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. So the image of the beast might even speak 
and might cause those who would not worship the beast to be slain. Okay, here's the point I want to hone in on. It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand uh, or the forehead. Okay, so look at all the different kinds of people that are being mentioned here. Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. The false prophet will unify people. The false prophet will unify people. So here's something you need to know as a mature believer. Just because people are unified around something and that unity is even diverse, that doesn't mean it's from God, right? There is a false unity that's a deception and a counterfeit of the unity that we find in Christ, okay? So that is important for us to know. Keep going. Verse 17, no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for its number of a man and its number is 666. Okay, I told you this is one of the more complicated passages in the Bible. So let, let me try to specify something in this for us. The false prophet will control people. He would control their worship and he will control their commerce. The false prophet will control people. And this, this actually correlates culturally to what was going on at the early church in AD 70 to 90 at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. What was going on is in order to have like a business license, you would have to go to an office in the Roman Empire. You'd have to go to a Roman office, and at that office, you would have to look at the Roman, you know, worker and say, Caesar is my Lord, and I worship Caesar. And after that, they would give you a license to do business. So that is exactly a parallel to what we see here in Revelation chapter 13. Spiritual teaching that controls or manipulates people is a sign of false prophecy. Just a side note, many people have read this passage and responded in fear to what's called the mark of the beast, the 666 number. Let me just address that really quick. Um, first of all, those that are receiving that mark of the beast will be overtly worshiping the Antichrist and the false prophet. There will be, there will be overt idolatrous worship. And so this isn't something that's going to be a trick. It's going to be very obvious. Like, I am signing my life over to worship this individual. Furthermore, and this is actually an, an incredible blessing. I don't have time to tease out, but it's in the scriptures. In Revelation 9 and later in the book of Revelation, what we also see is that God's people will be marked in the end times by the mark of God. So as a follower of Christ, what you can be encouraged about is God's mark on your life is going to become more and more apparent. And God's ministry through you is going to become more and more obvious. And yes, there's going to be those that fall into this deceptive, idolatrous worship, but God promises to set apart his people. Amen? Okay, so number three, a little life application for us today. How should we respond when we encounter false prophecy today? How can we prepare for false prophecy? Well, I think it's helpful to think of the analogy of counterfeit money. You know, people that study counterfeit money, it's been said, they, they, don't, they don't spend all their time looking at all the different fake money. They learn what a real dollar bill looks like, and that, sh that helps them spot what's fake. And in the same way, it's important to know what a real word from God feels like so you can see what's fake. Amen? So 
Jesus gave us this great test. He actually gave us this great test to let us know if a spiritual teaching was from him or not. Matthew 7, just to review. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So Jesus gave us this awesome test to test spiritual experiences in our life, spiritual teachings, the fruit test. So let's put up the acronym for the fruit test here. Awesome. We have the F. F stands for freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says, there is freedom. And so a true word from God is going to empower Christ-like freedom in your life. False prophecy will create bondage. It will create anxiety. It will cre create depression, uh, even to the, to the point of severe mental health issues if it's not addressed and dealt with. Um, you know, true prophecy doesn't control people. We give people an encouraging word from God, but then it's up to them to apply it and seek the Lord with wisdom for their life. We're not telling people what to do. That's why we avoid certain hot topics, you know, in prophetic encouragement like mates, dates, or things like that. It's because we're wanting to empower people to make their own decisions unto the Lord. Okay, so that's the F, freedom. That's God's culture. Everything from God has a culture of freedom. R, righteousness. Okay, this is God's code. A word from God is going to inform and support the code of righteousness God has already established. We have a real deception in our culture today. We think we can have God's blessing outside of God's boundaries. That's not how God set up the world to work. He established boundaries for finances, for family, for governments, for sexuality, everything in the world. It's addressed in the Scripture, and there are boundaries that God set up for our good and for our blessing. Today we think, well, I've got a Bible, and I'm going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, you know, kind of go on a spiritual journey. No. God set it up for us. When we get a word for him, we must test it according to his righteousness. Okay, you, unity, that's God's church. Listen, it's very simple. Satan wants a weak church. God wants a strong church. So true prophetic ministry is going to strengthen the church. It's going to build up the church. It's going to draw you into Christian community. Now, that's not to say people don't change churches sometime or find something else that God's called them to, but in general, prophetic ministry should strengthen the relationships in a church. That's why when I'm looking for resources to grow spiritually, I choose resources that are based in and based from people that are located in a church. I'm not looking for random internet prophets to kind of support my life. You know, I'm trying to walk things out in the mess of community because that's where we really have to apply things, right? Okay, I, intimacy with Jesus. This is a big one. True prophecy is going to support your relationship with God. It's going to lead you to have a greater reliance on Jesus. False prophecy will cause you to have a greater reliance on that prophet, to make that person an idol or whatever their thing is, true prophecy is going to point you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Revelation 19, 11, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And T, this is very basic, but this is important. God's canon, the Bible. So there's a lot of people here that are new to Christianity. And for you, what I would say is if God is speaking, if there's a spiritual teaching, it is only going to confirm this book. It's not going to add to this book. 
right? It's going to confirm to this book and increase your understanding and your reliance on what God has already said. Everything in here is good, even the maps, okay? Amen. Why is true prophecy and false prophecy important? Prophecy is important because Proverbs 18 says this, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Our words literally have the ability to speak life or death into people. You know, I think of a story um, doing some outreach in Mexico, telling people about Jesus, praying for him on the street, and a man actually joined our group. He was on a motorcycle. He had too much to drink. He couldn't drive it straight. He was doing this kind of all over the road. And his plan that night was actually to take his own life. So we intercepted him. And we're trying to talk with him and, you know, hear him out and trying to lead him to the Lord. But he just wasn't interested. And the conversation was going all kinds of different directions. I said, God, we need a word from you. Like, give us something for this guy. I mean, this is life or death. And God spoke to us as we prayed a name. We just said very clearly, hey, does this name mean anything to you? And as soon as we said that name, he just cratered to the ground, fell on his knees, started crying as God was healing him from years of abuse that had gone on with this person by that name. And I'll never forget the end of that night where we picked him up, picked up his arms like this, and he just said over and over and over again, no one taught him to say this. He just started saying it out loud spontaneously. He just started saying, Tango Valor, I have worth. I have worth. I have worth. I have worth. The reason we avoid false prophecy is because true prophecy is so powerful. It has the power to change people's lives. It has the power to strengthen the church. And for some people, it's the power of life and death. Let's respond together. We can go ahead and stand.